All right. If you would turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58, we'll be concluding our study this morning on the resurrection of the saints. A few weeks ago, I was commenting about David Platt, and he had said this, that he found out as he was in East Asia and taken to a room and, or taken on a long trip where he was blindfolded or a hood over his head and wound up in a room with a group of people crowded, single light bulb in the room, and he learned as he just preached the Bible almost until dawn, and then they took him back to where he was at, all of that in secrecy to protect him and to protect the church that is under persecution where he was at, and out of that was born the secret church that uh, we may even become part of this year, but in that he said that he found this concerning the Lord, that the only thing that you need is the Word of God and the Spirit of God to worship God. And uh, did not realize how true that would be standing here this morning. But can I say this, that we are here this morning with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God, for the purpose of worshiping God. And I pray that God would work in every single heart this morning. Let me just assure you this morning that if you are here, you are not here by accident, but you are here by divine providence. The Bible says that God is sovereign. It comes from two words, sov, means over, and to reign, that he reigns over all. And the scripture says that a man makes his plans, but God determines his footsteps. And so you may have thought you made the plans to be here this morning, but let me be the first to tell you that God determined your footsteps this morning. That ought to be a, an encouraging thing and perhaps even a frightful thing. To know that there is a God in heaven who understands every step that a man, a woman takes. He knows every thought. He knows everything about us. And that's an encouragement to me. I'm grateful for it. I told our Sunday school this class this morning, I said, do you understand what a wonderful privilege it is to be a Christian? To be a Christian because we did not earn anything. We don't deserve his goodness or his grace, and yet he has freely given it to us. He chose us is what the Bible says. And he chose us not based on anything that we have done, but just simply because he chose us. I don't know about you, but that's humbling. That's a humbling thing. I don't have the credentials. You don't have the credentials. Only Christ does. Now, let's get into our message this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, I guess the good news for me and maybe the bad news for you is that without the singing this morning, it gives me more time to preach. <laughs> but we have, we have a meal today, so I'll make sure that we get out of here plenty early. All right, so let me just kind of, uh, again, say this is closing out chapter 15, and we got a few more uh, lessons out of chapter 16, and, and then we'll close out a study that has almost been a year uh, since we started. I think we started in January of last year in 1 Corinthians and we'll really finish in, in 2018. So about a year in this book has been, to me, a wealth 
of encouragement, a wealth of instruction, uh, a wealth of challenge uh, for me personally as your pastor uh, to look at these things and, and for me to study and, and grow and have a deeper understanding of what the Lord was saying and is saying. Now, I was recently visiting with a, a brother in Christ and he shared part of his testimony with me the first time I'd met him. And he was a former Catholic guy and, and uh, he said that he used to wear a crucifix all the time. And he one day was talking to a man that walked and saw the crucifix around his neck, and he says, uh, why, why is Jesus still on the cross? And it was a good question for him. And, and he gave a pretty good answer for the question that he, he said. He says, well, the reason that, that Jesus is on the cross and the reason I wear the crucifix is because it reminds me that Jesus Christ paid for my sin and that he was crucified in my behalf. And the guy says, that's, that's good and that is true, but have you heard the other part? And he says, what do you mean, what's the other part? And he says, well, you see, the crucifixion is only one half of the story. He says, but here's the rest of the story. You see, that same Jesus who was on that cross was taken down from that cross and he was put into a tomb and he laid in that tomb for three days and on the third day he rose from the dead. Amen. He says, that's the good news. And he says, well, I, I, okay. He says, let me tell you what that means. It means that your sin was paid for on the cross but the guarantee that God will never hold your sin against you is evidenced because Jesus came out of that grave and he conquered death and he has swallowed up death, the grave and the sting of death. That's good news. You see, it would be, it would be great that just if our sin were forgiven, but friends, it is awesome to know that our sin is forgiven and that we have been granted eternal life. And the absolute knowledge of that is based on the resurrection of Christ. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, our sin debt is paid. Our eternity is absolute. Sin and death have been conquered. Now, I want you to let that set in this morning. Now, I had really... Uh, I had most of this studied out before I got the news of this, this this week, but can I just say again, sin is an ever-present enemy that is always on the attack. Sin is never satisfied. Listen to me, if you, whether you are young or old this morning, I want you to understand your private sin is never private. Your sin will affect Everyone who is close to you at some point. Case in point is us. It has far reaches. As old Dr. Lee said, he says, it will make you pay more than you want to pay and make you stay longer than you want to stay. But thank be to God that Christ has conquered sin and death. In our message this morning, as we conclude the study on the resurrection of the saints, 
this message, we can see a few things here. Let me give them to you. They'll be the four points for this morning. The first being is that we're going to be able to see a mystery revealed. Second, that we need not fear death. Third, that we're to be a thankful people. And fourth, that idleness, idleness, not idle, idleness is not an option. Let's take the first one, and we find that in verses 50 through 53, a mystery revealed. If you'd read with me, the scripture says this. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So we see here in these few verses a mystery that is revealed. And when we speak about a mystery in the Bible, we need to understand what it means. It is a reference to something that was once hidden, but is now made known. And so when Paul is saying, listen, he says, this is something that was once hidden, but I want to make it known to you. And what he is making known to them is this, is that first of all, when we look at that scripture, a new body for a new kingdom. If we look in verse 50 again, he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit um, the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So the first thing that we see about this mystery that he reveals, talking about it, and we've, we've said this, that... There is going to come a point, whether it is by the rapture or whether it is by death and at the second when he calls us up, that you and I are going to receive a new body. A, a totally different body than what we have right now. And you will remember from a, a couple of weeks ago or, or last week we talked about that, that fish have a certain flesh, that animals have a certain flesh, and that men have a certain flesh. And Paul says then you should be able to understand that at some point God is going to put a whole different flesh on you. And it's going to be a spiritual body. Because right now what we have is we have a physical body. And that physical body is constantly dying. It is said, though, that the physical body renews itself every seven years. That's an amazing thing. I think part of that thing we watched a few weeks ago just talking about how we regenerate. Your body is at the same time dying, but at the same time it's constantly regenerating. It says that every seven years the body really makes itself over again. I figured I've been made over nine times so far, right? And, and it's, starting to, it's starting to show. But can I tell you what I'm really looking forward to? I'm looking to the final makeover. I'm looking for that, that last time that this body is made totally different. Because Paul wanted us to know this, that this body, this body is not prepared for what God has in store for us. And therefore, we must have a new body 
that is made. And that is the mystery that Paul is talking about that is going to happen. And I'm looking forward to when that is going to happen. Now, there are two ways it's going to happen. You're either going to die a physical death or we are going to die or, or be caught up in the rapture. So let's, uh, let's just talk about that a couple of, for a couple of minutes. Let's look at verse 51. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So he's making a very clear point here. And, and so we understand, uh, I see some sleepy eyes this morning. That's not what he's talking about, right? He's not talking about going to sleep. He's talking about dying. And, and it's a great thing because that is a picture for the Christian. And we'll get more into not needing to fear death. But when the Christian dies, listen, he says it's equated just like going to sleep. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when I am so tired, I can't wait to lay down and close my eyes and rest. And that's the picture of death for the Christian. It's a time that we close our eyes and we enter into the rest and the joy of the Lord. And what Paul is saying there, he says, listen, I want to tell you guys something. Not everybody is going to die. That's an exciting prospect. Oh, you know, I, over lately I've been telling you many times about how I hope that I am part of the generation that will not sleep, that will not die. I would love to be that generation that the Lord comes and calls his people and we are raptured out of this place. I just think that that would be an awesome thing. But I also know this, that that may not happen. I may go the way that everybody else has gone, but I know this, that there is a promise that he is going to take care of us. Now, not everybody, not everybody is going to sleep. So let's talk about what happens. We're talking about the rapture there. It will be an instantaneous event. It is not a prolonged event. It is an instantaneous event. There are a couple of guys out of the Old Testament that give us a picture of what it's going to be like. All right. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about what the potential would be. One of them is a guy by the name of Elijah. And we find that in 2 Kings uh, chapter 22. And, and, and he is walking along, you know, he's going along with Elisha, excuse me, Elisha. And the Bible says that he is caught up in a whirlwind. And it says that Elisha sets and watches him go up into the sky. Right? So he didn't die. He was caught up. So it's kind of a, a, a picture of the rapture that has happened. He watches him go up. But then we have another guy by the name of Enoch. Now, Enoch was a guy who, the Bible says, walked with God. He had a great relationship with God. And he's just walking along one day, and boom, he's gone. Now, I don't know whether it's going to be that the world will be able to see you and me when we're raptured out of here and they would watch us somehow go up or it's going to be so instantaneous, the Bible does tell us later on in the twinkling of an eye, in other words, so quick, it's going to be hard to imagine what happened. But the fact is, is that whether you are taken up where somebody can say, whoa, there he went, or it's just, you're just gone. But the Bible says it's going to be an instantaneous event. And that your body is going to be changed that moment and you may not experience death we could be sitting here today and by the way can i tell you something that the rapture does not require anything to happen prophetically right now that's why we believe in the imminent return the return of the lord in the sky to call his people home what that means for you sitting here this morning is if you're a follower of jesus christ that God could call us, we could hear the trump, and we could exit out of here, and we would be into the presence of the Lord 
escaping that age-old uh, enemy called death, not experiencing that, simply changed in a moment and caught up to be with the Lord in the clouds. But can I say this too? For some of you, you may be sitting here, and in that instant, you look around and you're the only ones here. And if I read my scriptures correctly, those who reject Christ now are not going to accept him during that time that comes. Something to think about. When is this going to happen? They said it's going to happen at the last trump. This trumpet appears to be the last trumpet call for the church to hear and respond to. Not necessarily the last trumpet, because many more trumpets will sound. But it will be a call for the church to respond to, and the church will respond to it. It is an event that the church age comes to an end, and I believe is what the, t the scriptures teach concerning the rapture of the church. How is it going to happen? Sequence of events. What's going to happen? Well, we go over to Philipp or, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it tells us how it's going to happen. It says, first, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and then us. But it's going to happen in a moment. Now, Ann and I were talking about it this morning and saying, hey, are there going to be graves that are opened up? I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We don't know. But I can tell you this is because it's a new body, I suspect that the graves will just be there. But those bodies that were once in the grave are going to join the spirit that is already with the Lord. Listen, let me go back and reaffirm this. To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. In other words, there is no soul sleep. When you die, your spirit is going to be in one of two places. It is going to be in the presence of the Lord, or it is going to be separated from God, waiting for the resurrection of the wicked and the dead, where that body will join the spirit of the wicked, and they will be judged. For the Christian, they are waiting for a spiritual body to come up to join a spirit where you will have a spiritual body that will be involved in eternity on a earth that is remade by God. That ought to be a good news. If you're a believer. If you're not a believer, not so much. But he says that that is going to happen, and it's going to happen quick. Uh, I read where that during the Civil War, uh, the war between the states, or no, I won't go there. I was going to say the war of northern aggression, but I don't want to say that. That we, we see this group of guys, northern soldiers who had moved and marched all night long, and then, because the, they didn't have time to set up, they just laid down with their blankets and covered themselves up. And as they laid there, it snowed heavy. Heavy, heavy snow. And the chaplain was up the next morning praying, and as he, as he looked around and as dawn started to come up and the sun started to break, there were just these mounds out in this field. And slowly but surely, one would stand up, and then another, and then another. And it just reminded him, he said, of the promise that the Lord said, one day the dead in Christ will rise. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, according to the scriptures, the Bible says that as sure as the sun rises, and this, if God does not come back, the sun will rise tomorrow, just as sure as the sun came up this morning, there is going to be a day that you will be changed in an instant. 
whether it is out of the grave or whether it is during the rapture, that is yet to be seen. But the promise is, is that you will be changed. Then he simply gives a reaffirmation of saying, hey, listen, the corruptible cannot inherit corruption. There is a need for that new body. Second thing that we can see this morning is that there is no need to fear death for the Christian. Verses 54 through 56 say this, for, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall it be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the sting of sin, and then the sting of uh, strength of sin is the law. Death is swallowed up. Let me let me just turn over to Isaiah, and I want to read out of chapter twenty-five, one verse there, because that is what Paul is referring to when he says that death is swallowed up. Verse twenty-five and verse. 8 says this, He will swallow up death and victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. Can I tell you this morning, listen, sometimes I was sharing with our Sunday school class, we go all the way back to Genesis. And, and let me just pause here for a minute because I think it's important to bring this into context as well. We were studying Genesis chapter 22 this morning, and we see the picture, and most of you have heard this story in, in Sunday school or whatever, most all of your life. But if we're not careful, we miss it. It's, it is a story about the test and the faith of Abraham. But I want you for a moment to look and see Abraham and, and Isaac and the two young men that are traveling with him. When God says, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, your one and only son, and I want you to go to a place where I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice your son there. Now, what I want you to see about that is the consistency of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end. And it says this, that when they got to the place that Abraham looked at the two young men, and he says, Fellas, you wait here. The boy and I are going to go yonder. We are going to worship, and we're going to come back to you. Now, in that, you have to get the picture of what was going on as well. That as they're walking along, it says that there are the two men. There's Isaac, and there's Abraham. And they have a donkey with them, an ass. And on that ass is wood. Now, I will tell you, when you study the scriptures, and I shared with our class this morning, when you study the scriptures, the picture of an ass, of a donkey, is that of a lost man. And this lost man is carrying the burden on his back. They get to the base of the mountain to where Abraham and Isaac are going to go to the top. And the father takes the wood off of that ass, and he puts the wood on the back of the son. And the son carries the burden to the top. And then there's an altar. And just as Isaac willingly laid his life down and was ready to be sacrificed, folks, can I tell you that that was a picture of what was to come? That the father said to the witnesses, you stay here. And he says that he takes the burden of sin off of the lost man. And he puts the burden of sin on his son and his son climbs to the top of that hill and he lays down and he is crucified 
for that lost man's sin. Now, why do I say that? It's because I want you to realize that from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, it is consistent with one story. And it is the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ. And that is why when we read in Isaiah and he says that he swallowed up death. Who is the he? It is Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesying, saying that Christ would swallow it up, that he would control it, that he would conquer it. And, and I say that this morning because we, we look and say, why do we as Christians not need to fear death? He says he has swallowed death. He has taken away sorrow. He will wipe away our tears. Now there's sadness. We're grieved this morning. We're grieved over a brother. We ought to be grieved over our own sin. I am grieved over the sin, and the fact of the matter is that I know when I preach on Sundays there are lost people here who refuse to hear the word of God. But also know this, that it takes the Spirit of God to open the heart of a man. And my prayer is this, this morning that you will hear the Spirit of God speaking to you through the word of God and that you would cry out, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. You see, because he has swallowed up death. And there is no victory for death any longer. Death, where is your sting, is what it says. And the sting of death is sin. Listen, Christian, do you understand this morning why we don't need to fear death? Listen, you can face death this morning, child of God, because Christ has taken the sin and there is no sting in death because the sting of death is sin and your sin has been forgiven. So when you die, you don't need to fear seeing God. You have everything to rejoice for. You have everything to look forward to. There is nothing in this life that compares to what awaits for us as believers. And for the one who is not a follower of Christ, there is everything to fear and tremble and dread because that sting will be a continuous, perpetual sting that lasts for eternity. No sting. For the Christian, death is the gateway to enter into the fullness of the relationship that you and I have been created for. Third thing, we need to be thankful. We need to be a thankful people. Look at verse 30, uh, 57. He says, but thanks be to God which gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. Why be thankful? Because he has given us victory. We have victory in this life. We have victory in the life to come. You, you remember, if we look at, uh, go back in the World War II, we had, uh, we had some folks over the house last night and, uh, you know, a group of, of young people uh, and, and just kind of having fun, had a weenie roast and sit out and got cold and enjoyed the fire. And then but we had Lane. Lane. Lane is our, if you are, he is our official World War II historian. And I learned a lot listening to him last night. He, is, he's a, he has a plethora of information on, on World War II. But I was thinking uh, before that, before he was talking about it, World War II, and you will remember many of the iconic pictures that came out in Life 
and you know magazine and at the end of the war that how people just celebrated in victory because we had won folks can i tell you what that is nothing compared to what is coming because one day there is going to be a victory celebration for all of god's people in a place called heaven and there's going to be a new earth and a new heaven made and it is something to rejoice in be thankful in that you see, the fact of the matter is, and again, I go back to this, brothers and sisters, we ought to be grieved at what has happened in our congregation, but do not let that overshadow the fact of God is good and he is good all the time, and there is a redemption, and there is, there is hope, and it is given to us for this day. It's important to be a thankful people. It needs to be remembered that this victory that leads to thankfulness is all because of Christ and his finished work. Nothing more, nothing less. Don't think that you are something special. There is one who is special and it is Christ. And Christ alone. Look at verse 58, if you would. Idleness, idleness is not an option. Verse 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. We need to be a thankful people. That is absolutely right. But we also need to be a people that understand that idleness is not an option. And what do we mean by that? While we await our physical death or the rapture, we are to be busy doing the work of the Lord. And the Bible tells us how that is to be done. Paul gives very clear instruction on what it is to be done, how it is to be done. And it, it, it's not an option. Can I tell you, folks, we are living in a day, you, we don't have time to sit around and play church. Can I stress that again? Can I tell you that again? Can I tell you that we need to be people who understand the time that we're in? Can I tell you that we're a people who are looking, that we're coming to a close of this chapter? And if you don't believe that, I will tell you that a truth you cannot deny is that you are one day closer to death. You can't redeem time. You, you, you can't make time. You can't save time. You can only redeem the time that you have. And you don't know if you'll be here this afternoon. I promise you there will be people in this county who think they're going to live through the day who will not live through the day. The Bible says this, it's appointed for a man to die once, but after that, the judgment. And for the Christian, it ought to be this, as you understand this, that it, it, you, may have, you may be a saved person here this morning, but if you're not serving him this morning and your day comes and you stand before the Lord and say, and what did you do with the life I gave you? You see, everything that we do ought to be done for the purpose of Jesus Christ. That's not a popular American Christian message. We, we like to think differently than that. Let me just say a couple of things that he says here. He says, number one, that my beloved brethren, be steadfast. What does steadfast mean? It means firmly situated in our faith. Do you know what, was going to take, what is going to take us through where we are at right now is if you are firm, if you are steadfast in your faith. 
Not steadfast in your pastor. Not steadfast in your worship leader. Not steadfast in the church itself. Steadfast in Jesus Christ. That's the issue. Because when you are steadfast in the faith of Jesus Christ, nothing will shake you. Not from the faith. It hurts us, yes. Grieves us, yes. And then he says, not only that, he says, but unmovable. It's much like being steadfast, but it literally means this, motionless. Motionless in our movement away from God and responsibility is what it means. That you're not going to move. We're, li we're living in a day that we're being assaulted on every side. Don't move. Be immovable in your faith. Don't move away from God. Move closer to Him. Don't shirk your responsibilities. Endeavor to pursue them. He says, always abounding. I love what this means as you have studied it out. It simply means this. Exceeding the minimum requirements. I believe we live in a day and an age in the church where everybody is really happy just to do the minimum. Oh, I came on Sunday morning. Notice me. It's more than that. It's more than just showing up to church. Too often we find ourselves doing the least we can do in order to feel good about ourselves. I love this, a quote, it says, Leisure and relaxation are two great modern idols to which many Christians seem quite willing to bow down. John MacArthur. Americans are consumed with their leisure time and their relaxation. You see, the work is to be done now. Our leisure and relaxation come later. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, exceeding, overflowing with that work. Well, Pastor, I would do this if I had the time. I would serve the Lord better if I had this or that. And quite honestly, all that runs off of me like water off a duck's back because I've heard it for 40 some years. And it really doesn't matter if you tell me or not, but I want to ask you, do you think that that excuse is going to float with Christ when you stand before him? I would just give you a one-answer option. No. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is very clear about that. Let me finish it out with this. What is the work of the Lord? You see, because... So told a youth guy one time, the work of the Lord is not, not our youth guy, he knows better, the work of the Lord is not making a 17-foot, you know, Sunday, right? Ice cream Sunday. That is not the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord can be found in John chapter 17. I don't have time to go there this morning, but let me just give you a few of the things that Jesus said, because Jesus says, I have finished, speaking to the Father, he says, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Right? It was done. Before he went to the cross, he said, the work thou gavest me to do, I've completed. 
And the work that the Father gave him to do was this, to make manifest his name. In other words, if we're going to be involved exceedingly and abundantly, if we're going to be immovable and steadfast in the work of the Lord, it is to do this, it is to make known the name of God for those that we interact with. You say, wait, what? You see, the work of the Lord is not coming to church. The work of the Lord is done out there. The worship of the Lord is done here, as is the worship of the Lord done out there. Now, the work of the Lord is done inside as well, because he says, not only have I manifested your name, he says, but I have also taught them the words that thou gavest to me. You see, the work of the Lord involves this, is that we are to teach one another, we're to build each other up with what God says. In other words, the ministry in the church. So the work of the Lord involves this, is that we're to be involved in a mission in the world and we're to be involved in a ministry inside of the church as well. Can I get an amen? amen. And then third is this, he says, and I have sent them out to make known your name. In other words, we replicate who we are. That's the work of the Lord. And he says we're to abound in that. We're to exceed in that. We're to be unmovable in that. We are to be steadfast in that. And then he caps it off. He says, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, if you will do those things, you have an assurance of standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and him saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I fear that there will be some Christians that will hear, Why did you not do my work? Saved? Yes. Make it into heaven? Yes. Again, as 1 Corinthians says, is one escaping through the flames. Folks, that's no way to get in. Don't you want to please him? I do. I told, I told uh, Michael this week, it's a frustrating thing being a pastor at times, right, Truman? Because you're, you're, you're carrying your whole church's burden. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm just saying that it can be a frustrating thing. And I'll tell you what, there are times that I'm frustrated. There are times I'm discouraged. I'll just be honest with you as your pastor. There are times that I just want to throw my hands up and say I'm done. I feel that way a lot sometimes. But I told, I told Michael, I said, but then there's that old SF in me. And I told Michael, I said, unless I get orders for relief, that I will be in this thing to the end of fight with bubbles and blood spewing out of my mouth proclaiming the word of God. But I'm asking you as a church, if I'm willing to go to the dirt and if I'm willing to fight, oh, church, would you get in the dirt with me? 
would you fight the good fight with me? I'm looking at, I'm looking at J.D. and Rainey, young couple. Broken for them. For Steve. For Brad. This is not an occupation. so much want to see God's people excel. Not for their sake, yes, for their sake, as I told you Wednesday night, you're my, you're my crown. You're my crown. You're my joy. Please join me in the fight. We're in a desperate hour. Can ask us to do something, and don't feel if you can't. If you can, just stay right where you're at. But I want to ask if you want to just find a place to pray. You can sit right where you're at. You can come to the altar. You can find a room. But folks, I'm telling you, the only hope we have is to cry out to Christ. Working in the flesh has not worked. Will not work. Never will work. 